This morning we'll be operating mostly out of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfectly, and to Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. I present two conversations as I begin. The first conversation is this. This person says, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. I just don't think I need to be involved in any organized religion. I think that as a believer, I have the Holy Spirit and I have the Bible and that is good enough. Conversation number two. Well, since COVID and the shutdown, I find it easier just to go online and watch services. I think it's just as good. And I can see places I would not normally see. And I think God is pleased with that. One common problem in both of these is the attempt to justify self-isolation. The first example claims, I have the Bible and the Holy Spirit. I think that's enough. That person who makes that claim doesn't know the Bible and is not led by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will not lead someone contrary to what he teaches. He will not lead you to do the opposite of what he proclaims. The second person has developed an idea, probably understandably in this age, that you merely need an audiovisual presentation, that you need sound and correct arrangement of pixels. Well, what I would call a a type of DoorDash Christianity. I can have my church delivered. Again, this is a mindset that is not following the teaching of Scripture and not found in inspiration by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say there are some people who cannot come and go who are on beds of affliction and They have the opportunity to watch, but it would never be the same. And if you truly are a believer, to be separated from the people of God is a a painful thing. Both say it's what they think. But because they think, it doesn't mean it is right. 
Isolation has always been a key ingredient to falsehood. It is where some of the worst heresies have been hatched. And it's what all the major cults have in common. A leader who isolated themselves and came up with their own system. The first example is, again, a person who does not know what the Bible teaches about our nature. But also in both cases, it is the exalting of the individual's thinking. It's pure coming forth to us from the Enlightenment, the French Enlightenment, which turned people away from God and made them look to themselves. Why would you need God? You have everything you need in your own reason. Well, we see how well that's doing around us, don't we? Exalting of the individual's thinking over everything else. You see, on this day and each Lord's Day, we're taking part in the Holy Spirit's design. When we assemble as the body of Christ, we're doing just what the Spirit has called us to do. And this is what we're celebrating in this place for 109 years of God's people gathering as the body of Christ. But even in this place today, I wonder, I wonder if we consider what it is that we are doing, what we have really come to. On this day, remembering, of remembering, let us refresh our minds as to what it is we are doing and what we've come to. I also wonder, do, is it as, as we gather, do we remember <clears throat> that we are part of the most important institution on the face of the earth? Now, some people might, how dare you say that? We are part, if we are in Christ's church, of the most important institution on the face of the earth. Let that settle in your minds. First, Christ died for the church. No other institution, if we want to use that word, can make that claim. Acts chapter 20 verse 28 reminds us that he purchased the church with his own blood. The second thing, he is head of it. Ephesians 1 and verse 22, and he gave him to be head over all things, the church. Now, of course, he rules this world, no question, but he particularly rules in his church. Third, it is the body of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24, we see that in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members of in particular. 
When this passing world is done, when Christ comes and brings an end to all things, and the new heavens and the new earth are established, there's only one thing that remains, and that will populate the new heavens and the new earth, and that is the church. The church will always remain. His kingdom shall have no end. It will survive a nuclear holocaust. It will survive a zombie apocalypse. Of course, that's introducing fiction. But speaking of fiction, it will survive global warming. And if you want to see global warming, just look what Peter says will happen to the earth after Jesus returns. The church is the only eternal association. Churches are not buildings. They are assemblies of believers. So when we come to Hebrews chapter 12 in verses 22 through 24, we get a picture of what we are part of. So we see first what we have come to. That's how he begins that, but ye are come unto what? First, Mount Zion. At one time, a geographical destination. And at the same time, a spiritual destination. If we remember what we read earlier in Psalm 132, verses 13 through 18, we notice his habitation is his church. It is the lamp of Christ. It is where we read in Psalm 2 and verse 6, God saying, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And if that isn't enough, let's look at Isaiah chapter 28 for a moment. Isaiah 28 and verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste or act hastily. In chapter 51, And verse 11, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. And one more place in 
chapter 59 and verse 20. And we'll talk about what all these mean in just a moment. Isaiah 59 and verse 20. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion. And unto them that turn from transgressions to in Jacob. Paul would quote in Romans 11 and verse 26, Isaiah 28, or Isaiah 59 and verse 20. And then Isaiah 28 and verse 16 would be quoted by both Paul in Romans 9 and verse 33, and 1 Peter 2 and verse 6. And when we read these, these verses, some people try to say, well, you know, that's the reunification of Israel. And the, and the Old Testament system, that's nonsense. There's only one Redeemer. And when it speaks of the Redeemer, it's speaking of Christ. And when you're speaking of Christ, you're speaking of the new Israel, if you will. You're speaking of the church of God. And there is no other place that God would call His habitation. It is called as well the city of the living God. Three times in Hebrews that is mentioned as well as this time in chapter 3 and verse 12, chapter 9 and verse 14, and chapter 10 and verse 31. The city of the living God. Peter would respond to Jesus when he says, Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in Jeremiah 10 in verse 10, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting King. And if you don't know Christ, Hebrews has a warning for you. It's a terrible and fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He is not dead. And the only people who think that God is dead are dead in and of themselves. Dead in their sins and their trespasses. Two things that we can get from that. First, we have not come to worship a God who is not there. He is a living God. He is an ever-present God with His people. And so, secondly, we are not worshiping a lifeless deity. It is not an idol that we worship. It's not a figment of our imagination, but the one true and living God. I sometimes wonder on Saturdays when people paint themselves their school colors and sit in 20 degree weather with a minus 5 degree wind chill with their shirts off so they can show their school colors. Yeah, that's one thing about it. You can get all excited. In college, is not a bad thing. I'm not saying it is. 
But guess what happens? You, you belong there supposedly for four years. And when your four years is up, what happens? <laughs> Bye. <laughs> you don't belong here anymore. If you're hanging around without classes, we're going to think that you're suspect. The extent that people will go to identify with something is, is absolutely amazing. I'm sure there are people who worship Taylor Swift. And though I don't think I've ever listened to any one of her songs for, for a full song that I know of. I, I do know that on the news they talk about, well, there's a lack of tickets available for her. And so many people are upset. Now, I don't wish her ill, but there's a time if you're worshiping Taylor Swift that she's going to die. And she won't be there for you anymore. You see, we think of idolatry and we think of people who carve wooden structures and masons who work on stone and create statues and various other things, but this is a world of idolatry that is around us. As Calvin said, the heart is an idol factory. It's constantly producing new idols every single day, but no matter what you come up with, if you come up with your own system, as I talked to a man one day, he said, I think my system is good, and I'm, I'm sticking with it. And I said, well, what happens to your system when you die? Because the moment your brain stops, so does your system. And then what? And then here it's referred to as the heavenly Jerusalem. See, it's already a reality. When John in Revelation said, I saw the heavenly Jerusalem coming down from heaven, that means it had already been there. It wasn't just created and brought down. It had always been there it's already a reality and he says the general assembly in Psalm 111 and verse 1 the general assembly is the assembly of the upright and then finally he gets to the proper name the church and it's not just what we come to our second point would be, it's also who is, who is here. It's a hard thing as we read these verses to, decide, to divide the place from the person. Notice when we read this, but ye have come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of what? The living God. Mount Zion, the city, living God. It's combined together. It's hard to split that up, divide person from the place. The heavenly Jerusalem. Well, there's the innumerable amount of angels. The general assembly and church. The firstborn, which are written, registered, enrolled in heaven. <clears throat> Who else is part of the general assembly? And the spirits of just men made perfect. First, 
Then we note the innumerable company of angels. That idea comes from Daniel chapter 2 and verse 10 where he speaks of thousands and thousands of angels. 10,000 times 10,000. Why? Because he didn't have a number for million. And so it had to be 10,000 times 10,000, which means it's not we take it literally and do that multiplication. What he's getting at is there are more angels than he could count than you can figure on. The numbers are signifying that they cannot be numbered by man. Certainly God knows the number. But the angels of God worship God. And we then are most like the holy angels when we are in worship of the true God. Second, we notice the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. There's a great reason for worship. For the giving thanks and the rejoicing. Notice here in, in Luke chapter 10, if we turn back there for just a moment. Jesus has sent the 70 out and they've had all kinds of great success and they come back with all kinds of excitement about what has happened and they're giving their report. In verse 17, and when the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall be by any means hurt you. Well, that's really good. But notice what he says in verse 20. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's what we should rejoice about. Written in heaven means it's written in the Lamb's book of life. Believers' names are written in there before the foundation of the world. Revelation 17 and verse 8. It says the book of the life of the Lamb, what? Slain before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. Which means we are gathered with those who are true believers fellow believers whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. As Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, according to that, He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. There was years ago, I guess it's still around, I hadn't heard it sung in a while, thankfully, an old gospel song titled, There's a New Name Written in Glory. Well, no. 
Maybe upon salvation, there's a check mark put next to that name, but there are no new names written in glory, for the Lord knows those who are His. And then we notice the spirit of just men made perfect. Now, just doesn't mean mere. The spirit of just, that is justified, and now purified men. Believers. Those believers who have gone on before us are part of the church still. When they died, they didn't become part of the church, leave the church. That's why we don't have to baptize for them or anything like that. We don't have to have a baptism to replace them or anything like that. They're still part of the church. This tells us that we are still joined as believers in the one church with those holy souls that have gone on before us. That they still live. It's seen in the fact that we are joined with Him here as them as companions. And then with God, the judge of all. Which tells us he doesn't forget us. Part of the joy of worship is to be brought back to the realization that God knows us and we are known by Him. If we turn back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 6. In verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have shown towards his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full, the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Psalm 50 and verse 5 says, Gather my saints together unto me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And then we've come to Jesus, mediator of the new covenant. Hebrews 9 and verse 15, those precious words regarding that. Hebrews 9 and verse 15 And for this cause he is the mediator of the new covenant, the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal life. Now might doesn't mean a possibility. It means that they have the permission to receive the redemption of the transgressions that they were called, those who are called might, might reserve the eternal promises of the inheritance. Now time is, is far fleeting. And this is only the beginning of the understanding of the greatness of God's design for His church. But it is time we adjust our thinking it is time we return to the sense of wonder that we should have. 
It is time to stop letting those outside the church defy us and define who we are. It's time to see that those who say they believe but don't need the church are nothing but self-deceived and biblically ignorant. The same spirit who gave us the word of God in the word of God inspired the apostle Paul to write in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 and he gave some apostles that's come and gone and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of what the body of Christ Paul told Timothy, these things that you've received from me, entrust to faithful men who can teach others. So when someone says, I believe, but I don't need the church, we have to shake our head and say, what do you believe? Because that's not the Bible. And that's not God's design. And then those who think an audiovisual presentation is worship, I ask this. How can you be part of the body of Christ on your couch? How can that happen? How can you experience the presence of God, which He promised to the assembled body? see, my friends, I think the great truth for us to hear on that particular aspect is this. Virtual reality is not reality. I want to close with a a hymn that I saw. I'm not going to sing it, so don't get scared. (laughs) Our, Our hymn book is full Uh, So many songs that we're not familiar with yet, but hopefully in time we will. When I looked at the meter of this song, I knew that we didn't have anything in our familiar uh, treasury of tunes. I just want you to hear the words of this. I think it goes very well with what we're talking about. It's a prayer, in a way. Jesus, with thy church abide. Be her Savior, Lord, and guide. While on earth her faith is tried, we beseech thee, hear us. Keep her life and doctrine pure. Grant her patience to endure. Trusting in thy promise sure, we beseech thee then, thee, hear us. May she one in doctrine be, one in truth and charity, winning all to faith in thee, we beseech thee, hear us. May she guide the poor and blind, seek the lost until she find, and the broken hearted bind, 
we beseech thee, hear us. Save her love from going, growing cold. Make her watchman strong and bold. Fence her round thy peaceful fold. We beseech thee, hear us. May her lamp of truth be bright. Bid her bear aloft its light through the realms, though the, through the realms of heathen night. We beseech thee, hear us. May she holy triumph win, overthrow the hosts of sin, and gather all the nations in. We beseech thee, hear us. Let's stand together for prayer.